Welcome to the Pete on Software podcast, where we program with passion. This is the podcast that discusses technology, the business side of software, and the tech people that drive our industry. And now, here's your host, Pete Shearer. Hi, and welcome to episode 21 of the Pete on Software podcast. I'm recording this on Sunday, August 17th, 2014. Episode 21. Episode 21 is a big deal. I know that the average podcast stops after six or seven episodes, so we've tripled that. But here's why 21 is such a big deal. You know, if episodes were years and my podcast were alive, it would now be able to legally drink in the United States. If my podcast were a card game and episodes were points, this episode would be blackjack, baby. If podcasts were military honors and episodes were guns, I'd now have enough for a 21-gun salute. If podcasts were junk science and episodes were grams, then this podcast would now weigh as much as the human soul. Okay, I'm now being a little bit ridiculous. But I just started thinking about this before the recording and jotted some important 21s down just to have a little fun and and make a fun point. Today's episode is about religious arguments and how pointless they are in today's technological landscape. I don't mean Christianity, Judaism, Hinduism, Islam, and the like. I'm talking about .NET versus Java, iOS versus Android, Windows versus Mac, etc. On three different projects now, I've encountered people using Java who felt they were far superior to the rest of the technical landscape because they were using Java. The people who were using .NET or worse, non-enterprisey languages like Ruby were laughable. I'm so sick of this. First of all, the number one thing that matters is, are you shipping software? The number two thing that matters is, does that software work to solve real problems? Is it usable? Is it able to be changed, etc., etc.? The technology that you wrote it in only matters so that I know what IDE to open it in, and if you're in Vim or Emacs guru, then it might not even matter then. As long as you're shipping valuable software and can still find developers to do the work, why do you care what language and environment that someone uses? It seems like language frameworks and environments are the largest source of developer confirmation bias around. And it's almost like it's assumed that some level of others' people's success is transferred to you as well. Meaning, if Facebook was written in PHP and I do PHP, then I'm smarter and more successful by association. Or because Stack Overflow is written in ASP.NET MVC and tons of developers rely on Stack Overflow, And if I do ASP.NET MVC, I'm an important member of the global community too. This isn't an attitude that's unique to software or technology. Think about cars. There are people who are car bigots who only own Fords or only own Chevys or only own Chryslers. And maybe they never buy American and they're loyal to Honda or Toyota. Or maybe they only own luxury cars and they're adamant that BMW is the best or Mercedes. Why? Why would you limit yourself like that? Why not make the best choice of what's available based on features, price, and that year's models? I think a lot of this attitude is based on confirmation bias. I'm working in this language. I'm driving this car. I've chosen this political party. And if confirmation bias is at play, then the sad part is once people make that decision, they'll only read and immerse themselves in that one thing. I know that you would never do such a thing, and I'm sure that I'm only talking about other people. But I'll be honest. We all like to think we're 100% fair in all things, and we take no biases into a decision, but we do. There's a blog slash podcast at you're not so smart.com that talks about how we might not be as fair and free as we think we are. I say that to say we need to be aware of the bias. When you hear that someone is building applications in VB, don't immediately condemn them. Don't look down on them, even if they're perfectly <gasps> happy to be developing in VB and are trying to learn the new hotness in their spare time. If you've listened to this podcast or followed my blog for any length of time, you know that programming is my hobby as well as my profession. I try to learn a new language or concept or tool all the time. I try to make it one of my year's goals to learn new things even if I don't use them at work. 
I don't practice resume-driven development, but as a small example, I've learned Ruby on Rails, Node.js, MongoDB, iOS, and Android in the last few years, but I haven't done anything useful with most of them. I've made production apps with iOS and Android, but I haven't used Ruby on Rails, Node, or Mongo. However, those things have influenced my thinking about the code that I do write. On top of that, should the need arise where any of the things are the correct answer, I'll already be a few steps closer to being able to use them. But if developer X doesn't do that, it doesn't make him a jerk. IT jobs are expected to grow 22% through 2020, and we need people in those seats. Just because every one of them isn't working on bleeding edge stuff doesn't make them worth looking down on. Yet, I want to take this argument even one step further. The way that the development ecosystem is set up right now, it doesn't even matter what other things are written in. There's a Louis C.K. quote where he says, the only time you look in your neighbor's bowl is to make sure that they have enough. Adapting that here, I think the only time that we need to concern ourselves with what another developer outside of our shop is doing is to make sure that if they need or want help, that we are there to give it to them. That should be why we blog and speak at conferences and go to user groups to offer help to those who are asking for and seeking help. But back to my point on technology, and this is where I think it really hits home. If I run a car service, meaning I provide cars and drivers to others for a fee, and my development is all done in Node.js, and a medical company wants to use my car service to schedule pickups for patients to go to therapy sessions, but their system is written in Java, what do we do? Easy. Most likely, the Node.js car service company likely has exposed an API using agreed-upon standards like REST and JSON or SOAP. And then, any client can schedule appointments from any system written in just about any language. It's true that no matter what two relatively modern technologies I put into that story. And we've been doing this for years. Decades ago, it was shipping batch files. Today, it's services and APIs. But there's always been a way to communicate. At some point, it doesn't matter what the other person is doing. Now, I'm not saying that you shouldn't strive for best practices in your own shop. I'm not saying that looking for new ways of doing things is bad. What I am saying is that you shouldn't be spending time or energy looking down on someone else's shop that is A, shipping software, and that is B, solving real business problems for real users. In my opinion, that's an elitist attitude that keeps people from asking for help for fear that they'll get made fun of for what they're doing, or just in general, it turns people off from our field or from wanting to interact with people from our field. Be better than that. That's it for this week. My first pick of the week this week is Chess Academy at www.chessacademy.com. Taking the idea of Code Academy and Khan Academy and others, Chess Academy offers a way for individuals to learn how to play chess. You can improve your skills with video lessons, reinforce your knowledge with exercises, and demonstrate your mastery of the material through quizzes. You can solve thousands of puzzles and raise your game to the next level. They track your performance, they recommend lessons, they have courses on getting started, moving past the basics, diving deep, endgame, defense, and more. Playing chess is good for your mind, too. And according to research, test scores improved by 17.3% for students regularly engaged in chess classes, compared to only 4.6% for children participating in other forms of enriched activities. As long as you're not a grandmaster, I'm pretty sure that you can learn something from the site and you should check it out. My second pick of the week this week is the 1Password app extension. I'll have the link to the GitHub up in the show notes. What this one is, is with a few lines of code, your app, in this case your iOS app, can add 1Password support, enabling your users to access their 1Password logins to automatically fill in your login page. You can use the strong password generator to create unique passwords during your registration 
and save the new login within 1Password. You can quickly fill in 1Password logins into web views. There's a 34 second video on the GitHub page that shows you how it looks and works when it's integrated into an application. Definitely cool and definitely a way to let your users know that you care about their security as well as ease of use. That's it for this time. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, you can find me on Twitter as at Pete on Software or at my blog, PeteOnSoftware.com. Until next time. Thank you.